0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hit and Hustle from irishsportsdaily.com. I am your host, Greg Flamong, and with me, as always, is Jamie Uyama, Mr. Jamie University. It is Thursday, June 29th, and we have a hot take Thursday show ready for you uh, on this glorious day. I've already sh- I shared mine with Jamie, and he is he is not happy. He doesn't like my taste. Well, I, I, I want to see the response. We're going to have a spicy, spicy show flaming hot ghost pepper takes that I have for you today. So that's going to be very exciting. Uh, And then uh, whatever takes that come up in the chat. uh, I've got uh, Patrick Quinlan's already got a take. We'll we'll put it up here in a second. Uh, So we're going to go through that. It's all going to be fire takes. Uh, So thank you everyone for tuning in. If this is your first time listening to the show, please hit the like button. Please hit the subscribe button. Please hit the notification bell. Gets the show out to more people. That's what we want, right? Like that's the goal of of all the shows right you you want more people to 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 listen to your content and follow your content and all those things if you want to f- uh, listen to our show just on a podcast on the audio form links are in the description below of this show and before we get going i want to talk to you about esqclothing.com jamie i was uh, i was looking on twitter the other day and a uh, staff writer for the athletic robert Mays, he's an nfl staff writer he got married over the weekend and that's great to see and uh, he posted some pictures, and I said, man, that guy, he looks sharp. He looks real good. And uh, and then ESQ retweets, quote tweets it, saying, like, basically alluding to the fact that he's wearing an ESQ suit. And I got to tell you, it's all over the place, Jamie. It's not just us, right? It's not just another name thing. ESQ, it's uh, it, it's popping everywhere. Gah is doing good stuff for everyone out in the Chicago area. So you want to check out esqclothing.com, uh, check out their new bamboo shirt. We've been talking about it, Jamie. It's breathable, washable, machine washable, wrinkle-resistant, odor-resistant, feels fresh, feels good, feels good on the skin. You can wear it anytime you want, and uh, it's it's good stuff. So head over to esqclothing.com and upgrade your shirt game.
1: All right. uh, Robert Mays, Chicago guy. One of the smartest uh, football writers out there, in my opinion. Uh, true, true really, fact. really good job. Did great job at Grantland and the Ringer uh, before he was at the Athletic. Uh, does a great job with at the Athletic now. Um, smart guy. People should listen to him and uh, follow his suit choices.
0: Yep, follow his suit choices, man. He, he's a smart guy. He's made good choices in life, and he made another one for his suit for his wedding. So congratulations to him on that as well. All right. Let's go to Patrick Quinlan's hot take. Uh, the Ohio State game is a must-win. Not saying the program shudders if they lose, thankfully, uh, but they nearly need to win. It's home, sixth-year quarterback versus first-year starter. If not this game, then when? Is it a must-win game, Jim? Ohio State.
1: I hope not because I I, I, I don't think I would say I wouldn't pick them to win. Um, They I could win. Could. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think if you, if you just said six year quarterback versus first year start, I mean, Kyle McCord is going to, is a five st- was a five star. Yeah. So it's not like he was, um, you know, uh, it, it's not just like some random guy they're picking up off the street. Um, and I think he's going to be the starter. Um, you know, maybe Devin Brown does. And I mean, Devin Brown was also a pretty highly rated guy. Uh, I, I, They have so many other pieces in place. They are loaded, right? And and if you read Six Thoughts on Thursday today Mm -hmm. on on IC, they have both sides of the ball, multiple studs, draft-eligible studs that are um, going to be very, very high picks. So it's a game where, you know, and Notre Dame doesn't have nearly as many as them. Talent-wise, just in terms of the high-end talent, And usually in those games, that kind of those kind of guys are the the guys who end up making the plays. And I think that's where, you know, Notre Dame is always like when they lost to Georgia, those those two games in 2017 and uh, 2019, they just were like they needed like one or two more guys, I think, in those games. And I that's would be my worry about this Ohio State game. But it is on the road. Michigan bullied them the last two years mm-hmm. so i mean notre dame i mean should it, it, they should take that as um you know as motivation that that at least they they should be able to do that um but i i i wouldn't put it as must win it would be um I, I think though it would be it, clemson was a very big win i was i mean it was a huge it was i clemson was kind of a must win for marcus Freeman, given how yeah on Last year.
0: right.
1: Uh, so it was very huge that he won that game. This game, I wouldn't put in a must win, but I would say it would be the biggest win. I I think it would probably be the biggest win. Easily the biggest win since that 2020 um, Clemson game uh, for, for Notre Dame. And probably one of the biggest wins in the last decade. That's like, they're like a top three team this year. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be great. So if Notre Dame wins that game in a game where they have less talent than their opponent, I mean, that's a huge, huge win.
0: I mean, it comes, I mean, Ohio State's going to bring so many fans to this game too. They're, they're just going to be so many people. Um, that's another part too. It seems like, like every time there's some sort of like stadium takeover, Notre Dame loses, right? I mean, that's just how it's been. Um, so it would be nice for Notre Dame to come out on top. It's hard to say must win because it's September. It, I don't know. It, it it doesn't feel like a must. Win. I get Patrick's point. I get it. Just because like it, it they they do need to like because you're not going to get Ohio State after this. So it's like you know when are we gonna? I'm thinking as a as a fan now, like from Patrick's point of view, like when is Notre Dame going to? Um, you know get over the hump against this team specifically right every time Notre Dame plays Ohio State in recent memory it, it's a loss you know it uh they lost to them in 95 and 96 and then you played them in the 05 Fiesta Bowl and you lost then uh lost to them last year right and then so they come in again this year and it's like
1: 15, is it just 15 Fiesta Bowl too the 15
0: yeah. Fiesta Bowl exactly so it's like every time Notre Dame plays them it's got to be oh it's because of this it's because of that like Get over the hump well, they, so I they, get that they've
1: had more talent than Notre Dame and but I mean it didn't stop Michigan they had more talent than Michigan right. it didn't right. stop Michigan and I it it is true it's it's a must win so I and I think Patrick put it in there too it's a must win for Notre Dame if they want to if they want to fast track what they're doing in terms of like getting that kind of elite talent yeah yeah it is because yeah. that's how you win some of those things because I, I I'm not I'm not saying like you win that game and all of a sudden if like kVA committed was say he, say he was an Ohio State commit all of a sudden he's gonna flip it doesn't really work like that but I'll tell you one thing what it does it, and it might not even work anything for the 2024 class it, might, it may turn some heads but it, it might not even work for the, but definitely for the 2025 guys yeah that's where it does and it's like I mean oh you, you want you want to go to us or Ohio State we whooped them right? I I'm, mean I'm tell you right now if I was Notre Dame and I was recruiting against Clemson just be like yeah uh here's here's the 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 double Sweeney quote like they whooped our ass like that's just right. full on like what happened. so I I think yeah, those kind of games are important for recruiting. They definitely are.
0: I mean that that's a game Justin Scott's talking about attending you know I mean it's a big deal, right it's it's a big big deal um so yeah, thanks for that um thanks for that contribution there. Uh, if you're listening to the show, or you're viewing the show. Uh, if you want to throw in a hot take, uh, we'll get it in. You know, we'll find a way to get it going. Um, but we're going to start with one of Jamie's. We'll start with one of Jamie's here. Let's see. Um, let's do. Let's do blasted, from blast from the past. Uh, sort of right on Jamie. Um, Tavon Coney and I and I agree with this take. Tavon Coney, most underappreciated player of the last decade. Jamie, why do you say it?
1: Well, I think. One, he's a fantastic player, and I'm not saying that Notre Dame fans don't appreciate him because he does get mentioned. By uh, definitely hardcore fans know how 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 good he was, but you know, there's always the there's the three guys who who won the Buckus right for for Notre Dame, and it you know it's obviously Matt Taiteo and Jeremiah Wosukoromo and Jalen Smith, and I think Coney is seen as kind of like a tier below those guys. Yeah. And really, I just think he should be in that. He's he's in the same sentence as those guys to me. And you could put Drew Tranquil. I would say is arguably in there too. But I would say definitely Coney. Um, he was just so good in that 2017 season as as a will line. The fact that he excelled as a will and as a Mike in those back to back seasons, 2017 and 2018, he was. Better than Devin. Devin White obviously was a first-round linebacker, stud linebacker for LSU, you know, when they played in the Citrus Bowl. Coney was the best linebacker on the field that day. He was better than him. Like, I think he had like 16 or 17 tackles. He had
0: a crazy game. Just like the yeah. numbers were unbelievable. And he
1: was just phenomenal in that kind of big game. When you're playing against that kind of level of talent, uh, you know, he stepped up. Uh okay so here's here's some here's some numbers here right so second highest stop percentage versus the run in power 5 in 20 2017 15.4% stop so uh stop percentage which is uh a stop is a failure for the offense so when they're talking right. about like it's 3rd and 2 he stuffed them they didn't get the first down right it's 2nd and 6 he held them he he got a tackle for like a uh you know a one yard gain or something like that right like it's that kind of thing so his plays it's not like he was just getting tackles he was making a high percentage of tackles that were like the the offense wasn't successful they were in a Bro, bad like, you know how we
0: spot. always say like oh you know the guy made a tackle but it was five yards down the line of scrimmage or whatever like
1: yes no um so you know he had the he was making those kind of plays in the inside run game. He's the highest graded inside linebacker by PFF in 2018. So that's not nothing, right? Uh, him, Jalen Smith, Matt's here are only three linebackers last 15 years to have multiple hundred tackle seasons, right? That's obviously pretty significant. Uh, okay. So here's just the total havoc plays uh, for these guys for their careers, right? So Matt Titeo, 52, i mean that's just ridiculous right really if you think about it 52 total havoc plays so havoc plays are tackles for loss forced fumbles interceptions pass breakups right so negative plays you created those negative plays 52 for his career far and above everybody else right jalen smith 38 and a half coney 30 and a half jok 37 and a half right drew trankel 28 and a half right uh but Really, and I'm talking about at the, the peak here. So the last two seasons for Jalen, 27. I mean, obviously, the guy made a ton of plays. He was a great, great player.
0: Yeah,
1: No doubt. He deservedly won the Buckus. Coney, 28. He had more than than, than Jalen even. And he didn't even play on third down. 33 in the last two years for Manti. And think about how great that last Manti season was when he had seven picks. He literally, how many linebackers do you see have double digits interceptions and pass breakups in a season. And that's what Manti had in that season. So that just kind of gives you the idea where like Coney is in that range there. And then JOK 37 and a half in his last years, but that's what JOK was, right? He was just a straight playmaker. He's a different kind of linebacker, a a truly, truly great player. And all those guys, they're all like in their own category, right? They're all deserve to be mentioned. I just think Coney is just right there with those guys in, in terms of, a different kind of guy. He doesn't get the love because he didn't end up being drafted, obviously, right? right. And, and there's reasons for that. He he's limited a little bit more athletically than than some of those other guys. And and I mean, he's a guy if it was if it was 1995, probably would have been a second round pick, right? But it's just a different game than it was later on. And but he was just a phenomenal textbook inside linebacker a great, great, great player, a guy who hardly ever missed tackles, you know, had one of the lowest missed tackles percentage in the country, both years, only missed six tackles each in this last two years, which is incredible when you consider the guys making triple digit tackles on the season. Um, Yeah, I just think he's he's underappreciated. You know, I think some Notre Dame fans feel the same way that I do. I don't know if enough do. Like, I really think he was you know, Buckus worthy type good.
0: I don't think people like truly like what you're saying, like everyone, I think appreciates Tavon Coney and especially his 2017 season. Like, Oh yeah, he was really good. Like that was great. I don't think people realize how phenomenally good his 2017 was because first of all, he wasn't a starter until like week three to like week four, something like that. I mean, he, he was a, a rotation player. He did not start. Uh, the, the opener, certainly. He was behind Greer Martini. And so just to like just to kind of underscore, right? So Tavon Coney in 2017 led the team in tackles with 116, right? Next was Niles Morgan with 92. Then uh, Drew Tranquil was at 85. Led the team in tackles for loss with 12 and a half. Drew Tranquil at 10 and a half, right? It's like, okay, that makes sense. Here are the snap counts for the defense in 2017. Okay. Julian Love had 834. Drew Tranquil had 819. Okay. Niles Morgan 747. Tavon Coney 7th on the team in snaps 545. He had over 200 less snaps than Niles Morgan and Drew Tranquil. Yeah. And he led the team in tackles with 116, 116 tackles in 545 snaps. That's crazy. That yeah. is unbelievable production. I mean, and, and tackles for loss with 12 and a half. That, is, that that is an all-time heater season. And so, like, to your point, based on what he did in 17, based on what he did in 2018. It's hard not. It's hard to be like, oh, you know, like Jalen Smith never had production like that, ever. And look, we all understand, you know, different scheme and BBG and all that stuff, right? But even Manti, like Manti's numbers in 2012, beyond the interceptions, weren't like that. So no. it, it's just like he had, in his 2017 season, just as a whole, stats-wise is the best linebacker season. When you factor in the amount of snaps that he had is the best linebacker season in recent, recent history. It just is.
1: Yeah. It was like a, just like a nine or it was like eight or nine game run of just like, because yeah, he, I think it wasn't till like maybe Miami of Ohio or, or one of those games where he became the full-time starter uh, because, because Martini got hurt and, and he was so good that it was like, I'm sorry, Greer. Like I, we just, he couldn't be. It's like Greer. I guess you're just going to be the Navy specialist now because Coney was just that good. He was so so good. Um, and I, I just, yeah, I I do think he, he that that season sp- specifically, he was definitely underappreciated, and his peak was as good as any of those guys.
0: Seventeen tackles in that LSU game. Seventeen. I would say that's pretty good. Pretty good it's game. Pretty good. Pretty good job. Good job by you, Tavon Coney. So that's good. I like that. I like uh, giving some love to our guy, uh, Tavon Coney. Uh, I'm going to come with mine, Jamie. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm so excited for you to get mad at me. All right, you ready? Let's do it. Let's go. Notre Dame should have started Brandon Wimbush in the 2018 playoff. Thought about this a lot. Thought about it a lot, Jamie. Okay. It's not because I think he's better than Ian Book, because he's not. And, the, and, and Ian Book uh, started the, the re- remainder of the season. And if, if they kept Brandon Wimbush in that whole season, they would have lost the game. They never would have got to the playoffs. They would have lost the game straight up. And the roof was right. But here's the thing, Jim. Here's the thing. Z- Zach Davis loves this. See, look at that. Yes. Yes. Everyone's feeling it. So here's the thing. Why, why did they, why did Notre Dame? Everyone, really, There's
1: one guy says, he says, I agree. He
0: was, everybody's feeling it. He was, he was the first one. Everybody's Everyone, feeling Everyone's it. jumping yeah. on. Everyone's going to, you say when the, when the chat comes. So here's the thing. Why did Notre Dame go with Brandon Wimbush against Michigan to start the year? Ian book was better in camp. Why did they go with Brandon Wimbush? Because they didn't, they needed that variance. They needed those legs. They needed that. And, and it, it proved out in the game. Okay. There were a number of scrambles where it's like they couldn't block Michigan that day. Brandon Wimbush getting out of there, right? Third and 12, quarterback drop. Brandon Wimbush makes it happen, right? And he also had that, that crazy live arm. Zach Davis is everybody. That's what he says. He has that live arm where you throw the long ball to, to Chris Fink, and he makes a play on that, right? Goes a long ball to uh, to Miles Boykin, right? He made a play on that. He threw another fade to Miles Boykin. That was a touchdown. and got called back because Miles Boykin misaligned right i'm not saying this guarantees victory or anything like that the way i'm thinking about this is brandon Wimbush in a one game scenario when you are not favored that's important in this the fact that they weren't favored the fact that man they were going to have a really hard time block that that Clemson in front is an all timer it's an all timer you don't have time for that you don't have time to sit back there, you don't have time. Like you need that improvisation that Brandon Wimbush gives you. In twenty seventeen, in twenty seventeen, Brandon Wimbush led the team in ten plus yard runs with thirty. Josh Adams had twenty nine. Okay, that's the t- like. Ian Book was a great imp- 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 improviser. He was a great improviser. He could do those things, but not in the way Brandon could. Brandon was just a step up in that regard. And he was a wild card and that's the thing. And that's why they couldn't start him because if you're playing a team you're better than you got to know like, Hey, you're going to run the plays and you're going to get the ball out where we need it to be. It's going to be accurate. You're not going to have the ups and downs, but in a one game scenario where it's like, we have to, we have to put them in a position where they win with the defensive call, but we win the play because of something. And that something was Brandon Wimbush. So that's why it's like, I, I'm not going to, it's not like I killed him. Right. And, and I, and I told you before, like in 2018, before I was ISD, before I was like UHND, like podcasts and stuff, I have my own little pod with my buddy, the untitled Notre Dame USC football pod. And I said at the time, so it's not like I thought about this like recently, it's like I said at the time they, they should consider doing it for the very reason is it because you just need that variance that he can bring you. That Ian Book didn't at that time, because the other thing you have to remember too is Ian Book had the the rib problem. He was still dealing with that. He still had the crack ribs. so it's not like it was, you know, Wake Forest, Wake Forest, Ian Book. Like he was still dealing with that. And so I just think like it, it would have given them that puncher's chance that that they could have jumped out to a lead like they did against Michigan in 2018. Like that's what they needed to re- like replicate. They needed to replicate that game. And so.
1: No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my, my counter to this is I think you could argue that they should have found a package to to get him uh, like some touches just to kind of mix them up. Just because mm-hmm. like I don't think Clemson probably pr- would have prepared for it the way because they didn't show it really, right? right? Uh, I mean, he did play that season. He, you know, he started the, the Florida state game, right. Um, he did it later on. So, but the reason why you can't play him is because the guy had the yips. He can't throw the football. He can't make, he can't complete like a, a pass on the perimeter. He couldn't. Right. And that, that's really what was the story with Brandon Wimbush. He, he, uh, he was so inaccurate in, in those kind of things. Like what, you know, it's been well documented, right. With, with his struggles with accuracy. Um, I would i know, if taking a shot deep with his arm or whatever, I think those throws were like easier for him than, than the five yard throws for him really because of what's going on. So I don't mind if they did, uh, some, some of that, um, You know, just, just to mix something in, right. Especially if you brought him in and then you, they think, oh, he's running and then you take a shot deep. Right. I like that. I I like that. I think that's, you know, probably a good idea. Uh, Would have been a nice thing. But the reason why you can't start him in that game is that Clemson defense was way too fast. He wasn't going to be able to do kind of what he did um, as a runner in a lot of that uh, uh other stuff he did especially during that 2017 season so and if you look at the 2017 season I mean obviously you, you mentioned those 10 yard runs right mm-hmm. and and all those and he was maybe the best running quarterback in the country that year he was really really great right, right? Like,
0: like if you um, took away the sacks he's over a thousand yards rushing
1: yeah so uh here's where's the numbers here no he was 921.
0: Oh, 921.
1: Wait, okay. 921. So PFF they had 921 7.7 yards per carry, 14 touchdowns. Like it's pretty ridiculous, That's right? legit. That's legitimate. Uh it's pretty awesome, right? But every game in, in in that 2017 season, he had at least one run of 10 yards or more, right? Every game. With one exception. Georgia. Georgia. <laughs> and because they had dudes that it was like Oh, I'm going to try to shake this guy. Nah, you're not shaking Roquan Smith. You're not shaking, uh, you know, whatever, uh, uh, Deandre Johnson. Like you just, you weren't doing that. Like they, they, they had too many dudes they' too many athletic dudes. Like he wasn't going to shake Isaiah Simmons, Isaiah Simmons running down Jafar Armstrong. Like he was a little kid. Like, yeah. like it, it, he wasn't going to be able to do that kind of stuff in, in that game. So, you know, all these games, right. He, yards per attempt, 12 carries, 27 yards, 2.1 yards per attempt. So taking sacks out against, uh, uh, against Georgia in that game. And that was the only game long of eight, long of eight yards. And really that was the kind of thing they had. No, um, they obviously couldn't, he wasn't a guy who was successful passing in too many games. Right. So, and without that kind of explosive element, and, and really Josh Adams couldn't run in that game either. Um, I just don't think I don't think they were going to be able to, to, to run with him if they c- could have mixed in some stuff. Fine. But if that was going to be the whole game plan, I just don't think he was going to be dynamic enough against that defense. Um, so I, I will say I after your argument, I respect the, the take more, but I I would disagree that he should have started played fine.
0: Yeah, it's just not as fun to be like, oh, he sh- they should have rotated quarterbacks. I mean, maybe they could have. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They they maybe they yeah. could have, but like it's just and, and you know someone said like imagine they only scored three points after starting Brandon Wimbush, like totally, like like Kelly would have got crushed. Even even if like even if they lost the game, you know, like they you just like you do that, and it's like look, it it breaks up the continuity and that stuff. It's one of those things. Like I'm I'm not like they they blew it right. Like I don't think that's true. I just think, man, like that was, I don't think it was ever a consideration. And I just think it's, I think it's more of a thing that they could have considered because here's the thing, Brandon Wimbush did have the yips, right? Like he did. And it's uh it was not good. And especially because it's different against Michigan because you, he knew he was going to start. Right. So it's like, he hasn't been sitting around like he, like the, the, the Florida state game was like, Hey, this is my goodbye. Kind of thing like this is my last game Notre Dame, like everyone knew he was transferring. Like you couldn't, it would be very hard to start someone who you knew was not going to be on the team the next year, right? With eligibility. So that would have been difficult, but I just think they needed something. They needed something to kind of change um the dynamic of it. Right. Because it was just like uh, initially it was kind of clear. Like when you, it's like man, I don't know if Notre Dame has the juice for this team. You know, they needed something else, and then you have Brandon Wimbush sitting right there. It's like this is an asset we're not using at all. Should have done something there. Um, so you know, I just thought it was spicy, Jamie. I thought it was a spicy Extremely thing. Extremely spicy. There. Yeah, let's um, let's go on to the next one. Where do I want to go with this one? You want to do the commits, or do you want to do uh, Clemson? You know,
1: let's go Clemson because I was just talking about Clemson.
0: All right. Notre, Jamie says Notre Dame will dominate Clemson again in 2023.
1: Okay, I'll change the wording here because I sent to you they would win decisively. So okay. I don't know if it's going to be dominant to the same extent that it was this year, because I think Clemson will, I mean, they're obviously going to be pretty motivated. They got embarrassed last year. Let
0: okay, me um, just change it then.
1: Yeah. They, they got embarrassed. They got embarrassed last year. Believe me, that's going to be something they put a lot of extra emphasis on. Right. And All right, there you go. And, and I think Clemson, I mean, I haven't seen their schedule, but I don't think they play anybody at a conference this year. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I don't think they, I don't think they, they play anybody at a conference this year that that's worth it, worth a darn. Right. So, and yeah, everybody knows the ACC they oh, they play. They play Florida state at some point, but, and I think Florida state is obviously going to be good, but Clemson is, you know they're gonna be a playoff contenderish type of thing, yeah. right? Um, so you know they're gonna be extra motivated in that game, and that game's gonna be at home. It's gonna be at night. They're gonna sprint down the hill. They're gonna touch the rock. All that stuff, right? Dable's gonna pull
0: a muscle. That's my hot take. Yeah. He's gonna pull his yeah. hamstring on that night.
1: Uh, they're gonna they're gonna be nuts that game, right? And yeah. they do have they got a they got a lot of talent coming back, right? They got a couple of really good DTS. They got. I, I, both, I think their linebackers are the probably the best duo in the country, right? Barrett Carter and Jeremiah Trotter, I think, are both mm-hmm. studs. Um, you know, they got two really good safeties uh, as well. RJ and Andrew McCuba. But they had all those guys last year. And they had two more first-round picks on the, on the defensive line. Yeah. And Notre Dame took it to them. Like, took it to them. And... I'm not confident in there until I see something else from the defensive uh, coordinator to make me think that this guy is Venables or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think he is. So I'm not confident they're going to do that. Also, I think Notre, Dame's got, Notre Dame actually is going to have a passing game this year. In that game, they just basically only had the run. And then they were like, oh, we only have the run and they can't stop it. So we're just going to keep to it. So I think Notre Dame will be able to like mix in and, and beat them with some play action too. And the main thing is, is if you look at their offense and K Klubnik, he might be fantastic this year. Mm -hmm. He might be right. Very well could be. But the one thing that could hold them back is one. I don't know how good their old lines going to be. They're always, it's always hitting. They've never had
0: like a good old line, like in terms of like dominance, it hasn't been. Yeah.
1: So, and because of that, I don't know how effective, like Will Shipley's really good back, but I mean, you know, and he did fine against Notre Dame last year. But I mean, he wasn't going to he w- he would have had to gone off for like 200 for them to really be in that game because they couldn't have a passing game. They didn't have yeah. a passing game, and are they going to have a passing game again this year? I do like I, there's a there's a receiver that I really like on their team who's going to be sophomore Adam Randall who I was super high on a recruit that I mm-hmm. think could be a stud, but they've had a lot of highly recruited guys that when's the last stud who's the last stud they had a receiver it's it's actually like uh justin ross is the last guy yeah um well i guess
0: before he got hurt
1: yeah before he got hurt i guess amari rogers you could kind of say but he was never at the justin ross t higgins level right mike williams level right so and deandre hopkins sammy watkins they haven't had that guy and they've, yeah. they've recruited guys that are at that level, but they haven't turned into those guys. So as much as they've not had the, the Watson or the Trevor Lawrence since then, because obviously long was, you know, whatever square pig round hole, whatever you want, or, or just not good. Um, including might be great. And I do think Garrett Riley will make them better on offense, but who's a star, uh, at, at receiver. And if they're, if they can't make big plays in the passing game, I just, I don't, I don't know. Like if you can actually kind of put numbers to stop them against the run. um, I I just, I think Notre Dame, I, I think they're, they kind of, how they match up against Notre Dame. I, I, oh, also Notre Dame's corners too. Like if they don't have, if you don't have great receivers against Notre Dame's corners, I don't think you're gonna make you complete too many passes, right? So mm-hmm. I just think that Notre Dame is set up well against them. And I, I I think in that game, I just have these, I just have this feeling too that Clemson is Notre Dame's uh Ohio State to, to Michigan's Ohio State. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. That's how I feel about it.
0: So the other there's a couple other factors too. Because of the success, like Notre Dame's had some success against them, right? They you know, beat them in 2020. They lost in the AC title game. Then they beat them again last year. And so those players, like they don't they don't look at Clemson like I think they would look at like an Alabama. It's like we can't we, no. we haven't beaten that team, right? Or Ohio State. Like we just can't beat them. Even though we know we can play with them, we're not beating them. Whereas Clemson, you are, and the other part too, Sam Hartman's had a lot of success against Clemson, right? Yes, they lost yes. in overtime last year, but would he throw like six touchdowns, seven touchdowns? I mean, he is not afraid of them, you know. Like he he doesn't have when you when you have that kind of success against the team, you look at them and you you don't think like, oh, I don't know, like you, he's going to go in there confident. He's going to go in there feeling like he I can I can deal against this team.
1: And, and this is the other thing, when Notre Dame plays Ohio State like you almost have to change kind of what you do in order to be like, to play a certain way to win that game. Kind of like how, when you played Alabama in 2020 and how they played uh, Ohio state last year. And I'm not saying that, um, you know, it's, it's, you're going to be totally neutered by, by the matchup against against Ohio state, but there's certain ways you can't, you can't you have to play um I don't know more conservative but uh strategic is, is the way that I would put it. And I think against Clemson, because of how you feel, you're, you you kind of feel like man, the whole playbook's open. Yeah, you know, and because of that, so I mean we'll say endy match. I <laughs> listen, I said win decisively, not dominate. Win decisively. So I, I think Notre it's, Dame will I think Notre Dame uh, we'll beat them by double digits. Double thats, that's, a,
0: that's double an evisceration, digits. Jamie. At, on the road, a, it's, it's an, an, an absolute evisceration. evisceration, and they should shut down the program. Should it happen? That's that's what should happen. You said, right, Matt, Matt McCarthy says, hot take: If the 2015 team didn't have a lot of injuries to keep players and had a better DC, they could have won the Natty. There were two plays away from being 12 and 0 in the regular season. Um, so I. Th- First of all, a lot of people say this, so this is, like, medium take, small take. Um, But here's the thing. In one of the losses, like, everyone says Brian Van Gorder is bad, and that's true. But, like, the loss in the Clemson game, you have 24 points.
1: The defense actually played pretty well. The
0: defense defense played pretty good. You go on the road against Clemson, you give up 24 points. You got to think you should win, especially if like turnovers
1: killed them more than the defense.
0: The the turnovers killed them, missed the field goal. Sorry, you know, Matt's boy, Justin Yoon missed the field goal. Um, You know, Chris Brown turnover like inside the five. It's just like that kind of stuff. And it didn't work out. And the other thing about the Clemson game too, or not the Clemson game, the Stanford game, is people forget about that game like they they put up a lot of points they absolutely did but they also they also had like a really poor they did a really poor job in the red zone in that game like they had to settle Very for a poor. lot of field goals where it was like you, if you could go up two scores but then it's like oh no you, we kicked a field goal and so then stanford was always kind of in striking striking distance and so there were a lot going on that year it, it you know and then it's like the injuries yes but I don't know. I, I just think they, the, the Van Gorder stuff, like it hurt them, but not like in the games that they lost. Like obviously the last drive for Stanford, that's a disaster. You know, like that's no good. And they had some plays in that game where it's like, hey, maybe just make a tackle. You know, I, I they, you know, they they threw the little they threw the little stop route to the wide receiver, and I can't remember who the defensive back was comes up, tries to make a tackle, and he's just whiff, and he runs in the end zone. It's like stuff like that. And, and obviously that goes to coaching, right? Like there were a lot of those problems with Brian Ben Gorder's defense. So I get that part. But I don't know. It, it, it just seemed like the offense had a chance. If they were that good, if it was like we're that that good, I think they would have been able to figure it out. And they didn't. So,
1: Also, I don't think that they would have beat Alabama if they got into um, the, the the Alabama one that year, right? And Clemson yeah. went toe-to-toe with them but really Clemson went toe to toe with them because Watson was unbelievable in that game and they had like Shaq Lawson and oh a Dodd I want to say is was the other end oh, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. those guys were like unblockable that game right so Notre Dame didn't have that you know they didn't have those those guys and i, I think i i mean people always forget like the, that team they didn't have they didn't even have a defensive line rotation like they they did not have they didn't have enough depth and and you can say injuries but every team gets injuries they didn't have the, the depth to kind of survive it and they didn't even have the depth to kind of deal with it like uh, like sheldon day if you look at his snap count compared to like what you know jerry Tillery's snap count was in 2018 or something like that or 2017 it's way down from that because even though those guys played a lot just because they had to play so much more they had They didn't have anybody else. They didn't have, they didn't have a, they didn't have a rotation. Joe Schmidt started at Mike linebacker. I mean, it was not, not anywhere close to like, definitely not on the Coney, uh, Tao, um, Niles Morgan, not even really on the drew white level. Not even, I mean, not even really definitely not on the drew. Like he just was not in, in terms of that. Like, so, when you look at that kind of thing, you look at where they had like in the secondary, like Kavari they had, but it just wasn't, they didn't, they didn't have enough talent. They didn't have enough. They had a lot of talent on offense. The the top end guys were great. They had a lot of top end. They
0: didn't have any depth.
1: They didn't have enough depth. And that was something that just from, and that's was Brian Kelly kind of recruiting. Uh, when you, if you look at kind of like the back half of a lot of those recruiting classes, they didn't have a lot of wins there a development wins or, or like evaluation wins with a lot of that. And they needed more of that. Um, it's a shame because that was a team that the top end talent was good enough to c- compete for a national championship. And I mean, I will say too, I think, um, pops who's, you know, get another cameo from London's playroom in, uh with uh, on his daughter's iPad He's in
0: his daughter's tablet. You say
1: though. mentioned about Kaiser wasn't that guy and, and uh, he, he wasn't. So it's not like you wouldn't go into that game. And I mean, I'll say this. though: maybe Kaiser wasn't that guy really, but he kind of played like that guy against Clemson. If you look at his numbers in that Clemson game and look at the numbers in that Stanford game
0: and in the Stanford game. Yeah,
1: he was great yes. in those games. So
0: <laughs> he probably he wasn't in that 2016. Guy. So that's, he wasn't,
1: he wasn't. And I think there's other kind of factors that go into that too, but I, I don't know. I I think they had the pieces there and the offensive line was obviously great. Right. But, but, um, they had the pieces there on offense if they could have just, if they just had like, they needed like three more dudes on defense at the very least. And probably like five more really.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and, a new G- 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 and a different D.C. too. Andy Chee G- cheat G- Uh Oops, I didn't mean to do that one. Uh, here we go. Kelly went for two too early against Clemson. Incredible. Like, like, what? He never explained it either. And against Northwestern. Didn't explain that either. Like, completely just mind-boggling. Didn't make any sense going for two when he did in either of those games. Down 21-9, you're going for two. Why? Why? You didn't need to. You didn't need to, and they didn't get it, and then they had to chase those points for the rest of the game. Same thing against Northwestern. It's just like you're up by four, or you're up by three, and you can kick it to go up by four. you want to go up by five? Like what? And then they kick the field goal to tie the game. It's just – I don't get it. Like some of these things – and, you know, and and it goes back to my point about like if Marcus Freeman did that last year, it would have been like, oh – first year head coach doesn't know what he's doing and that's how you that's what you got to deal with it's like Brian Kelly's in like his 30th year or whatever it is and he's making these mistakes so well I,
1: I think that's one of those things that head coaches just it's it's so easy to say for us as we're you know watching from our living rooms or whatever um but it's just a different thing uh when you're in the heat of the moment because there's so many guys who've like hall of fame level coaches who do that all the time, like make those mistakes, and it's like they regret it. That was like what Andy Reid was known for, yeah. Before it was like his horrible, uh, you know, game management uh, yeah. prior to him, you know, getting Patrick Mahomes and win Super Bowls.
0: Yeah. All right. Hot take. Brian Kelly inherited a better situation than Marcus Freeman did, especially roster wise. Because here's, because look, everyone wanted the. Everyone wanted the uh, the culture, right? That was the thing, the winning culture. That was what Brian Kelly passed on to Marcus Freeman, that winning attitude. They had a bunch of winning teams. But, like, Brian Kelly doesn't get – I mean, Marcus Freeman doesn't get to go back and have the 2018 roster and the 2019 roster and the 2020 – he doesn't get to go back and, and have those teams. He had to play with what he had. He didn't have Kyle Hamilton. He lost. He lost him. They lost a bunch of other uh, pro players. The defensive line, as you said, like that was starting to get depleted. The defensive line recruiting was not very good. The receiver situation was a disaster. Couldn't run one-on-ones, Jamie. They couldn't run one-on-ones. They couldn't do seven-on-seven because they didn't have enough bodies to do it. In 2022, they didn't have enough receivers to do it. Secondary was depleted, uh, depleted. Thankfully, Ben Morrison, who Marcus Freeman convinced to come and didn't go to Washington, convinced him to come. Thank goodness they had him because they didn't have him. They would have been in a lot of trouble last year, as we saw when Cam Hart got hurt against USC, and it was a bad situation. Safety recruiting, not good. Okay, that's been a disaster as well. Quarterback recruiting, not good. Same kind of thing. Whereas what Brian Kelly What Brian Kelly inherited, he inherited a ton of talent. Charlie Weiss was a very good recruiter. Michael Floyd, uh, Kyle Rudolph, uh, Manti Teo, Ethan Johnson, Matt McCarthy,
1: listed a bunch of guys in his thing. Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, let me just throw it up here. Look at the offense Jonas Gray. Here we go. Jonas Gray, Robert Hughes, uh, Sierra Wood, Armando Allen, Theo Riddick, Michael Floyd, Kyle Rudolph. Uh, Tyler Eifert, Zach Martin, Chris Watt, Cave, Trevor Robinson, the O line. I mean, Duval Kamara, right? So there were just like there, there was a ton of talent that he had to work with. And in fact, in fact, if 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 BK was able to uh, grab a quarterback from the portal, like you are in this, like because that was the big problem. That was the big problem is that Dane Chris was a miss, and then you had to rely on freshman Tommy Reese. And that was the big problem in 10. That was a big problem in 2011. If he could have brought in, if they could have brought in a, a, a transfer quarterback. I mean, that team had enough talent there. They're making a run. They're making a big run, right? But Obviously, that didn't happen. But, like, he had more to work with than Marcus Freeman. He didn't have to revamp. Like, no one was like, oh, you know what? This team doesn't have talent. They just didn't know how to win. The culture was bad, right? They didn't know how to win games. So they go out in some solid coaching. And the team got better. But man, like we've talked about it already. Like the 2011 team, that was a disaster. Like that was such a bad job going eight and five with that group. That team had so much talent on it. And that, so that is no good. Like going eight and five with the 2010 team, like with the amount of talent that that team had, that that was no good either. So I just think Brian Kelly was really set up well from a roster situation. And I don't think – and I think – I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I don't think Marcus Freeman was set up in the same way. People assume, oh, because they've won a lot of games, this team's loaded with talent. I don't think that's correct. And I think that was kind of proven out in the fact that the last NFL draft, you had Michael Mayer go high, and that was basically it. You got a couple guys drafted after that, but it just – it is we didn't have that top-end talent.
1: I mean, I 100% agree on the talent part of it, um, that they had – better better starters 100 i would say depth wise depth, you know depth was an issue was an issue then um but out of the starters like i mean look how many of those guys ended up being nfl guys like a lot harrison more Harrison smith
0: NFL. We, we didn't mention harrison yes smith.
1: harrison smith another guy yeah
0: robert like, blanton darren walls um,
1: yes um It was a good, that defense was, was really good. The defense, the first three years, uh, I mean, uh, unfortunately, you know, the Diaco kind of recruiting kind of came back to bite them later on, Mm -hmm. but like the inherited guys that they got, um, and, you know, and credit to Diaco and and that Stafford turning those guys into a good defense because they weren't a good defense before that, or not a great one, at least. And, and Mm -hmm. they ended up being really good. Um, yeah like they um they had a lot of talent they had a lot of talent so talent wise i i would agree it's i don't even think it's close like i i i i do think that um which is also why whatever and we've talked about it before that that's one of the reasons kelly got out he was like mm-hmm. he oh knew. god he knew that he knew the next two years were going to be rougher right and that's the thing too is as you look at this year the team is not set up to be. That's why it's like when you're like, oh, they needed to be. Oh, uh, Ohio State's a must-win game, and maybe it is a per from a perception, whatever. But it's like the team, as it's set up right now, isn't built for that, unless you get a bunch of sophomores uh, who just blow up and play awesome. Unless you have some guys who who haven't been great end up being great. Like a Riley Mills is all of a sudden just finally it just all clicked for him and he is a dominant guy right like all of these kind of things need to happen for that to happen because they don't have yeah like talent wise it's 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 not close like it especially like they don't have a michael floyd like michael floyd right like ever heard of him it's pretty good uh i i think that was you know the quarterback situation was bad and, that, and that's ultimately what killed them uh that year and probably the second year too but I think just as an overall from, from the roster per- perspective, yes. And then I also think Kelly did a bad job um, in the transition of it too. you know, kind of being like, these aren't my guys or whatever kind of thing. Like wow. that whole, that was a horrible thing. And I think if he would have done that, if that would have happened in this era, there would have been so many guys who went into the portal it would have, Oh just,
0: it, yeah, absolutely. Notre Dame
1: would have lost a ton of guys and they would have been, then, then 2012 doesn't happen and it could have been really, really bad. And maybe I, you know, you could kind of get away with that as a coach at that time. You can't get away with it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talent wise, I, I think I would hundred percent agree, but I mean, I, I do think having Freeman, having guys, um, culture carriers, I think that is important. Um, and but, but ultimately if you have the culture carriers, but you don't have as much talent, it's, it's like, it's, it's tough to win tough to win as much as you want to um, and be, be like, they weren't in a position. People thought like if Notre Dame could be like a playoff contender last year, yeah, they shouldn't have lost to Stanford and uh, Marshall. Yes, obviously, but they weren't ever really going to be a, truly a playoff contender. Cause they just didn't have a roster that was good enough right. for that.
0: Right. And, and, and also like, I think people were more tolerant of, man, they weren't super tolerant as I recall, but like,
1: no, they're not that tall. I don't know. But, but, but yeah. like,
0: but like, 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 but, but it was like eight and five, eight and five. Right. It's like, well, it's better than Weiss. You know, like that's what you could say. Like it was better than six and six, you know? Yes. But like, like Marcus Freeman, like if he goes nine and four again,
1: it's going to be a disaster.
0: Be a big problem. Like that's going to be yes. a big problem.
1: He'll be and on like, the. I don't know if he's going to really be on the hot seat, but people will talk about it.
0: It'll it'll be it, it, it. And it's like he really needs to be big in 2025. You know what I mean? Or 2024. And so that's where it's just kind of like I, I think people. There, there was kind of mirage there, you know, where it's like, oh, you feel like, wow, I'm inheriting this great program and this great, like it's a machine and All this other stuff, and you actually look at it, it's like, I don't know, like Brian Kelly did inherited a bad program, but a lot of talent, a lot of talent. And I wonder, and I wonder just like if you polled coaches, like what would you rather have? Would you rather have a ton of talent, or would you rather have like a better culture, better program? So um that'll be interesting. All right, Jamie. Here's your last one. I wonder if you know who this is, too. So your last uh your last take is Notre Dame will flip three commits. In the fall of 2020. 2020. I don't know who
1: this is. Okay. You know, it's not like an inside information, like being like guys get the crystal balls ready. Like it's (laughs) it's not that it's not that it is just that like, as we talked about on Tuesday, the recruiting vibes right now aren't great. Um, They're not horrible. Like I think people like whatever I saw, uh, people saying that it was like recruiting's a disaster, like give me a break, you know? Uh, and okay. This also gives me an excuse to, to mention this because people seem to think that man, Michigan is just rolling right now. Like yeah. recruiting wise and man, look at that, what they're doing. Right. Uh, look at what they're doing in, in terms of like how much better they're doing than Notre Dame. Okay. Michigan's average recruit ranking 90.62 right now. Notre Dame's. uh, 15 blue chips committed right now for, for Michigan, uh, 14 for Notre Dame blue chip ratio, 62.5% for Michigan. Uh, you know, Notre Dame it's 66.7, right? Um, basically people are just hyping it up because, uh, Michigan didn't recruit as well before they signed 10 and 11 blue chips in, in 2022, 23 and Notre Dame signed 18 and 19. So like because Notre Dame dipped well Notre Dame's dip is Michigan's like like let's throw a party you know like that's yeah I mean you know good for Michigan for using two uh college football playoff appearances and turning it into uh Notre Dame fans disappointment level recruiting like I, like they, they are not recruiting at that level and even if you think about it too like Jordan Marshall I mean, he's a top 100 comps, but I I think he's a good back. I wouldn't say he's a top 100 guy in my opinion, Mm -hmm. but he was at Irish Invasion last year. Notre Dame was like, we want Aeneas Williams. They offered Aeneas Williams and got him later, right? That was the guy that they wanted. So they saw them side by side. So it was like, okay, Owen Waffle, parted ways, right? You know, that's another guy in their class, another four-star in their class. Uh, Jared Smith, another guy Notre Dame was like, yeah, we're we're not. They were. Gonna they took stop the other recruiting. players. They took yeah. other players. So three of their guys are guys that um, Notre Dame didn't want, right? So, and I'm not saying those guys might not end up being good players, but I'm just saying like it, they're celebrating Notre Dame's kind of leftovers, really. Um, and I they I think people are fairly saying that yeah Michigan did way better than Notre Dame on the field last year they pro- they produce and developed Notre uh NFL players better than Notre Dame especially recently no doubt about that um but let's chill on 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 how they're they're doing right now but in in saying that so I think Notre Dame is well aware, like this June didn't go as they expected. And, you know, we'll see what happens with KVA. We'll see, we, you know, there's definitely doesn't look like there's a decision right on the horizon with him. Doesn't seem Notre Dame definitely not out of it. Uh, you know, Christian had an update on, on IC's board. If you want to check that out from, I believe it was yesterday. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens. with Gerby Lambert, you know, Justin Scott, like I said, which way the wind's blowing one day. Like, you never know. Um and bradley shaw whatever right and obviously if notre name ends up getting two of those four the vibes get better right the vibes get better if they get three of four the vibes get a lot better right and um i think you know but even then you'd still say ah it it just doesn't feel the same because they didn't have the the flurry of commits that they had at the end of june last year right where it was like oh man they needed to get these corners they needed to get christian gray michael boom, boom, got him, right? They mm. they need to add another safety, boom, Ben Minish, like all these kind of things that happened for them at that time, and they they haven't had that same momentum, right? Um, and they're signing more three stars, right? So I think that uh, you know, even with what they did last year, they still were super aggressive trying to flip guys, right? And they flipped Kenny Minchia quarterback, which was a the guy they, uh, they uh, offered obviously later, and then uh armel Mukum from stanford um who uh who are the other guys that they they flipped uh oh um christopher tarek from wisconsin who was like a late flip yeah right and then caleb's caleb smith the only caleb smith now from texas tech right so i mean those guys aren't really like turning um you know, they're not they're not completely changing the vibes or anything, but i I think there's a good chance that at least a couple of those guys are gonna be end up being pretty good players, right? And um they definitely all have a shot to be good players.
0: Well look at right? a guy like a guy like Audrey Cestame, you know, like he was yes. he was Michigan State, you know, Michigan State and, he, and they got in on him and obviously like He's Where would they be now without him? Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, like he, he's—I think he's in line to have a huge year, right? Like, and I and I tweeted yesterday. Like, you look at like speaking of, and that's the reason I knew the Brandon Wimbush stat with thirty-plus or ten-plus yard runs is because no back had for, since twenty fourteen no Notre Dame back besides CJ Pro Size had more ten-plus yard runs than Audric Estime did last year. And he not a ton of carries, 156 carries, yeah. right? Like that's for someone like him who it's like he's not a breakaway guy. He's he's it's not like there were huge holes all the time for him. Yeah. He just he he's did really well with that. And so we didn't have a ton of carries. I think his number's gonna go way up, like and he, you know, he slimmed down. He kind of understands like he he understands like I just need a little bit more juice and I can get get through a hole. Whereas this time, like, oh, I might get caught by my shoelaces or something. So I think he's in for a big season. But it's it's guys like that who it's like you grab them late, you just kind of fill out the class with them. You know, guys who who got in on a school as uh in the spring, you know, March, April. You don't know that they committed, don't know their name, don't know who they are. They have a good senior year. And they're not super fired up about you know the decision they made in April. Now I have other decisions, stuff like that, you know. And yeah. so like that's where things can kind of happen. Caleb Beasley is possible. You no, know, he said he shut it down. If He's still yeah. talking to Notre Dame. The chances of the chance is still there that he's that he's gonna just like you know what? I liked how Notre Dame looked against Ohio State. I liked how Notre Dame looked against USC. I'm still into that.
1: So. Yeah, that's um, always important. And you know, and I, I mentioned in in six thoughts too that. Um, Jeremiah Wosukoramoa, Virginia, right? Yeah. Um, Jarrett Patterson was Arizona state He decommitted in December, right? Like that's those guys, I mean, those are huge guys yeah. for Notre Dame. And then the 2016 class, just imagine the 2016 class, if they didn't flip Dalen Hayes, USC, Kelly Kareem, Alabama, and then Ian book from Washington state that 2016 class was not a great class on paper ended up being the best class of the Brian Kelly era. And those three guys were key guys. If you do without those three guys, Notre Dame is not making the playoff in 2018 or 2020, right? Like, um, you know, um, or or definitely not winning 11 games in, in in 2019 either. So I I think like these kind of things matter. um, And, you know, not all of them are going to be they might not all be Caleb Beasley level. Obviously, that would be fantastic, and that does change the vibes. But mm-hmm. I do think look at how aggressive they were last year in the in none of the guys that I mentioned that they flipped from last year had offers at this time. So right. that's something to remember. So there's probably going to be a Jok and a STEMI. That a, a guy like that who comes from a, someone that they flip. Right. And you know, yeah, they flipped other guys who haven't worked out too. Right. Like Jordan, Gen Marquis or whatever. Right. Like, so it's not like it's a, it's a hundred percent kit rate or anything, but you can, you can still be aggressive and add quality. And you are just, you're taking more shots at it w- when you're doing it. And I think Notre Dame will flip at least three. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll flip at least three. And it might be something where like a moocum thing where people aren't super, like pumped about it at the time, but then they become pumped about it later. Um, or even a STEMA too, right? It was like, people liked him, but it wasn't like he was considered like elite elite. People would have been like, man, I, I wish they would have landed Will Shipley in that class, right? Yeah. So it, I I think there's a lot of things like that c- that can happen. And I do think um, that, uh, yeah, they're going to be a very aggressive. And I mean, I, I, I think we're going to see that more and more, and i think they've been pretty good at being kind of like stealth about it with with some yeah. of these guys too so I, i'm gonna guess it's just gonna kind of come out of nowhere and then all of a sudden uh you know i'll get a text from our own matt freeman we'll just be like hey watch this guy i'm like okay and then all of a sudden <laughs> it's like oh, i guess that guy's a guy
0: <laughs> yeah all right that's a good place to uh leave it thank you everyone for tuning in uh this was a really fun show we're gonna have to. Uh, we might just do one next week, Jamie, because uh, next Tuesday is Fourth of July, and uh, so everyone's probably gonna be very busy. I'm being very busy. You're probably very busy. Um, so we'll, we might just do one show next week on Thursday. We'll figure it out if some if there's something breaking that comes up. We'll try to fit in a show, but if not, we'll probably just do a Thursday show next week. Um, so everyone can uh, kind of enjoy the holiday and enjoy your families and barbecue and all that good stuff. So uh, thank you everyone again for tuning in. Uh, If this is your first time listening to the show, please uh, hit the like button, hit subscribe button, hit notification bell. Links to our podcast are in the subscription below if you want to check us out there. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Have a great 4th of July. Have a great weekend and we will talk to you next week.